Hi, my name is Kim Bauman, and I'm the founder of One Love Movement, a nonprofit dedicated to advancing social justice. I am so excited to bring you One Love Heroes, a podcast about ordinary people with true stories of humanity, love, and courage. Some from people you already know and others from people you'll want to know. Come along with us as we set out to discover stories that will touch your heart. Thank you so much for listening. Today on One Love Heroes, I'm getting to look one of my heroes in the eye and say thank you. I'm talking with world-famous movie producer Charles Roven. Chuck has produced over 35 films and is behind many of your favorite blockbuster movies such as American Hustle, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, Wonder Woman, Batman vs. Superman, with earlier films Twelve Monkeys, City of Angels, and Three Kings. This interview in particular has special meaning to me because Chuck not only made my childhood dream come true, but in that experience, I also realized that I no longer want my dream. And as heartbreaking as that was to realize, knowing that set me free to then nine years later, find my purpose that I'm living today, which is owning a nonprofit that advances social justice. So here is my story with Chuck. It was 1998 when I first crossed paths with Chuck, and I had just moved to Los Angeles from a small town of 10,000 people called Spearfish, and it was in the state of South Dakota. And it was my dream since I was very little that someday I was going to move to LA and I was going to be a big-time movie producer. So in 1998, that is what I did. I made my way to Los Angeles. I knocked on doors, and I was ambitious as ever. I was relentless and I couldn't, um, I I wouldn't take no for an answer. I would research addresses to production studios, go there and wait all day, unwilling to leave until someone would see me because I knew that this was going to happen. I created spreadsheets of all the studios and production companies with their names, the people I'd spoken to, what the people had said as a way to organize me getting my foot in the door. And so then I went to, uh, I finally got a temp job working for Atlas Entertainment, which is Chuck's production production company. And shortly after that, my dream came true. I was promoted to Chuck's first assistant. I was working on movies and I was working for Charles Roven. I was right, his right-hand person and I had finally made it. I had finally made my dream come true. But even more so, what was very touching to me is that Chuck saw me. He gave me the opportunity to prove myself. And this is why Chuck is one of my heroes. And now I welcome the brilliant Chuck Roven, the mastermind in changing the world through entertainment. Chuck, thank you so much for meeting with me today. So welcome. Thank Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to get to come up to Los Angeles and get to actually see you. It's been 18 years. Wow. Crazy, huh? I remember it was 1999 and I remember how the entire world was freaking out about transitioning in Y2K from 99-2000 and all the work we did on that. So it's just so funny to think back about all those things that happened during that time frame of working together. 
<laughs> how much, how big a deal we thought it was going to be, and then it turned out to be nothing. Exactly, exactly, it was nothing, no big deal at all. Um, so something funny that I wanted to share with you is that, um, well, first of all, the backstory in this is that I've had, I've been in love with like Mark Wahlberg since I was in middle school. <laughs> I had his posters all over my bedroom. He was just one of those people that I loved, like since the Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch days. And so I didn't realize that you were friends with him. And then so it's so amazing that I one day I'm working for you. And so one day he comes by your office and he must have driven his bike there or something, but he left one of his gloves at the office. And so me and several of the other girls, we took turns putting the glove on and wearing it around the office because we just thought he was so amazing and so great. And it was like Mark Wahlberg's glove. And then um, back in the day, we had pagers. And so I remember paging him from the office to let him know that he left his glove. And he called me back and I was just freaking out to get to even talk to him on the phone. So my first question for you is, what is it like being friends with Mark Wahlberg? Well, I, you know, I, I met Mark uh, on Three Kings, and um, I find him to be a really terrific guy. Um, I've watched his career uh, as an actor really, of course, excel, and uh, as also a producer and a television producer of great shows. Um, he's a hardworking guy. He's a family guy now. Uh, I have uh, really high respect for him. I think he's a terrific guy. We don't we don't see each other that much, but I think we have a mutual uh, admiration for mm-hmm. each other. Yeah, for sure. That's amazing. And I that was the movie that actually I worked on with you was Three Kings that that long ago. It's so crazy to think about the time frames. Yeah, that was my first movie with David Russell, but it's one of my favorite movies uh, yeah. that I produced. Cool. And why is that? I just think it turned out really good and it, you know, I thought it was a wonderful script and, you know, the performances uh, of all the actors from George to Mark to Ice, Ice Cube, you know, it, it, um, to, uh, you know, uh, he's a great director, uh, Spike Jones, but I don't, I don't think he's really acted much since then, but his performance, uh, in Three Kings was also fantastic. So, um, it was just really a great experience. It was difficult and challenging. And, uh, you know, we had issues because uh, George was uh, not just working for us four days a week. He was flying back to Los Angeles. We were shooting in Arizona. He was flying back uh, three days a week and then sometimes four days a week, alternating to finish his obligations on ER back then. Um, so, you know, when you've got different kinds of complications, um Things don't always work out despite best intentions, but, uh, it's, um, you know, it's one of the, one of the best movies that I produced for sure. Yeah. I loved it. It was amazing. And actually I didn't even realize that you produced American hustle until I went to the theater and I was like, Oh my God, Chuck Rovin produced this movie. That's one of my all time phenomenal, phenomenal movies. So how did, how did American hustle come together? And, and did you think it was going to be different in the beginning to how the result of the movie, to the result? Well, I always believed in the property of Richard Suckle, who was uh, working as a producer at Atlas. Uh, You know, he, um, no, he hadn't produced his first film yet uh, back in the 90s. but on American Hustle, by then he was a producer, uh, and and we had produced together the Scooby Doo movies, uh, 
Um, and then he came back and, uh, and we had produced Fallen together. Uh, well, he was associate producer on Fallen, but he had been with me and started on my desk just like, uh, just like you did. And uh, I remember working with him. Yeah, but so. he, so he came to me pretty much right out of college. Uh, and now he's, uh, one of my producing partners. Um, and, uh, he's done, uh, just a lot of great work. And, uh, he worked with me with David on, uh, Three Kings. And, um, as I said, after that, we produced the Scooby-Doo movies together. And then, um, when, uh, and then we produced together a film called The International, uh, at Sony, uh, which was written by this guy, Eric Singer was also a wonderful writer who shared in the um, writing award, uh, the writing um, uh, awards that um, American Hustle got. He got co-screenplay mm-hmm. credit with David um, and uh, was nominated also uh, that year. Uh, you know, in, in Six Degrees of Separation, uh, Spike won for her that year oh. for the best screenplay. Um so, uh, and, and because Spike and David Russell were so close, David had given Spike some really great critique on that screenplay. And then it went and it beat American Hustle. But oh, in any case, interesting. Cool. in any case, uh, Love it. when we finished the international, uh, we had such a good working experience with Eric Singer, uh, that Rich, uh, and Eric started talking about another project, which ended up being called American Bullshit. <laughs> that was the original title of American Hustle. Really? Huh. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and we had a, a, and a screenplay was developed. And um, again, in another Six Degrees of Separation, uh, we had uh, Ben Affleck, who was committed to direct it and star in it after the town. And uh, while he was working on it, he was offered... Uh, Argo. Oh. And okay. he had wanted to play that character, uh, in Argo and direct it. And he and George, who was the producer of it with his partner, had talked about it. George wanted to play that character. Uh, but Ben wanted to act and direct. So ultimately, George gave in and let Ben act and direct. And so Ben took that movie, uh, instead of American bullshit. <laughs> and, oh, interesting. And uh, at that point, we were looking for another uh, another director. And um, I had reconnected with David after Three Kings, and we were looking for something to do together. And uh, he read American Bullshit, and he said he was very <laughs> interested in, in, in doing it. Um, uh, ultimately, uh, everybody decided we needed a different kind of name. Uh, and we came up with American Hustle, which... Uh, sort of fit the period better. And, um, also I thought, I think it's actually a better title, uh, even though it's not as funny. Right. Uh, and, uh, and so David put his imprimatur on the movie and, uh, really turned it into the movie that it is. He's an incredibly talented guy. And, um, you know, the movie got, you know, a bunch of golden globes and, had 11 Oscar nominations and it's was amazing. a big hit. So it's also one of my favorite movies. So 
you know, David Russell's definitely uh, high on my list of uh, guys that I enjoy working with. Awesome. I love it. Two of your favorite movies with the same man. <laughs> well, Chris Nolan also, uh, yeah. I've made a number of wonderful movies with him in the Dark Knight trilogy, and uh, they're also on my short list. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I loved the Dark Knight. That was amazing. Such a fantastic Thank film. Thank you. What, so then what would you say you're most proud of yourself for in your career um, amongst the movies you've made? Um, you know, I, uh, I like to think that I don't take anything for granted, mm -hmm. you know, um, I view every project as, as it being a standalone, even if it's a sequel, um, you don't always hit the mark, but you got to try as hard as you can, or for sure you won't hit the mark. So, uh, I think I'm, um, I'm, uh, proud of myself for being diligent Mm -hmm. and uh, working so hard that uh, if luck comes my way, it's going to pay off. Yeah. I actually, that's one of my things too, that I for sure learned from working with you is diligence, persistence. I don't know if you know this, but I've been trying to um, get reconnected to you for about four years now. I did not know and that. And it's my, it's the persistence of like constantly Well, what calling, happened? How come it's taken that long? I think I just talked to the right person when I called and got through and was able to email you. And I mean, I don't blame anyone in your office. It was just that I think that there's so many, um, so much to field. And for me, it was, um, I just kept thinking about how much I've I took from that experience with you that I just kept popping into my head. And one of the main things for sure is diligence. 100%. I am so persistent and diligent. And, but I also know when to give things a breather and then when to, you know, to start up again. Yeah. So, you know, and you know, I've been really fortunate because, um, my, my producing career has really had, a, you know, obviously some longevity and, you know, um, I'm always, uh, you know, fortunately, uh, if, if I'm not in production or post-production, I'm in pre-production and, you know, I've, I've been, I've been incredibly blessed to be able to have, you know, more than one movie or more than one project actually going at the same time. And now, uh, thanks to, uh, Rich and, uh, and Alex Gartner, uh, Atlas has really expanded well into the television business. You know, we had a four year run on, uh, on, uh, a television uh, version of uh, 12 Monkeys, which was a movie that I produced in the mid nineties. Um, and, uh, and now we've got another uh, podcast uh, converted show uh, that was, I think probably the most popular podcast, multiple series podcast last year called Dirty John. Oh, <laughs> You know, Dirty it's John. So exciting, yeah. yeah. So exciting. <laughs> so, Dirty John um, has was been picked up by Bravo for a two year on air commitment, and we're starting to shoot it um, in June. And uh, Richard Suck was running that. Wow! Oh my God, that's incredible. Yeah. You know, that's the thing too. Like when you look back, like when someone looks back on your career. You're one of those people that if you're a part of it, it's going to work out. Do you see that about yourself? Well, it's like, okay, I, Chuck's got I, it. It's going to work out, you know? Um, 
I think I like to think that I'm added value, <laughs> but not everything works out always. You know, that doesn't mean you don't try as hard as you can. But like I agree with what you said earlier, which is you have to try as hard as you can, and then you also have to know when to give it a break. Uh huh. You know, or that it's passed you by, and you need to focus on something else. What is something? And those are those are things of feel. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not. It's not like, oh, I'm going to work on it for this much time and then that's it. No, you got to feel it, you know, and you develop feel in terms of the environment that you're working in over time. A lot of it has to do with experience. I love it. Like your intuitive sense around the conversation, around the way that it felt with that person. Exactly. I love that. So then is that like part of how you navigate because I've always wondered how do you know especially when you're on set and you have to call things so quickly like or just in general the movie like how do you know when enough is enough and then how do you know when you need to keep on pushing forward with this one thing that might be really difficult like because I feel like a movie is so much you have no idea if people are going to like it or how it's going to turn out it's such a huge risk with the money involved with the staff the yeah and the other thing is it's it's a long process right so you know, if you're lucky and you're working at, you know, hyperspeed from the time that you start to develop the idea to the time that you're out, maybe, I, mean, I think the fastest movie from idea to going into the theaters was, uh, that I, what I ever worked on was a suicide squad. And literally that was less than two years, which is pretty remarkable. Less than two years. Less wow, than two incredible. years. Yeah. Oh my God. I love Viola Davis. <laughs> I love her. I love her. I'm obsessed with her. Badass in that movie. Of all the badasses in that movie, she is the. Oh my god, I love her so. Wait, can you just tell me like what is she like in real life? We're gonna divert a little bit. I love her. Yeah, she's just really you know great, great energy and you know always ready. Um, You know, Will was like that too. Always ready. Maybe the first guy on the set every day. Always knows the line. Wow. We had a great, we had a great cast. Margot was great. I love her too. I Tanya, I she's, love her. Yeah, <laughs> oh, she's she's very classy and uh, wonderful, wonderful chameleon. Can do so many different things. Um, you know, can play so many different colors, so many different characters. You're seeing that right now. Yeah. And uh, as beautiful as she is, she doesn't use that. You know, she uses other things inside of her to envelop the character that she's playing wow so you know we had a great cast um and uh and uh, i enjoyed making that film too and i was you know pretty pretty blessed by making that movie while i was sort of caught in between so we were finishing batman versus superman making uh suicide squad and pre-production on wonder woman wow and you're managing all those projects. That's I have a lot of help. Yeah, you do. You, you know, huge I have a nice here. team with me. Um, you know, uh, obviously led by you know Rich and uh, Alex Gartner, and now uh, uh, Andrew Horowitz is working with me and Alex on Triple Frontier that we're shooting in Hawaii, and oh. and uh, that was a movie that I started working on in two thousand and nine and uh was supposed to go in 2010 and uh and then it blew up and then uh 
finally got it back together again in 2017. And then it had a series of <laughs> minefields that exploded on wow. us. Uh, but we finally got it back together now and we're starting and we're 2009. shooting. 2009. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so they then, take some time. Yeah. And you know, I don't think anyone, I don't even know myself. I just have that glimpse of, you know, the moments I worked with you, but I feel like nobody has any idea what goes into creating a film. How would you, uh, so are, are you, you're handling the budgeting, you're handling getting the funding for everything you're doing, everything you're choosing the actors. Is that correct? You're well, it's a collaboration. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, nobody does it by themselves. So I have a team here at Atlas and that's a collaboration. You know, let's just say I'm team leader, but it's a team. I have a fantastic, uh, bench, uh, a, a fantastic, uh, you know, group of people who work here, um, including uh, my daughter, Rebecca Rovin, who was... She a, works for you? She started out on my desk. Oh, no Just way. like you. That's amazing. <laughs> Little Rebecca. Little Rebecca. Yeah. I think she was like eight or something when I met her. Or maybe she was younger. No, well, see, that was 18 she, years ago. How old is she? Yeah. Yeah. She was, she was 11. Little Rebecca works for you. Oh, I'm I executive producer on Wonder Woman. What? No way. Yeah. Oh my God, that's incredible. Yeah. Are you so proud? Oh yeah, she's she's great. She's part of that next wave. Andy, her, uh, you know. <gasps> so wait, she's in the current Wonder Woman. Or? She she was she she was executive producer on the Wonder Woman that came out last year. Last year, okay. and she's executive producer again on the current Wonder Woman. Wow. Yeah. And okay, that's really cool. Yeah, she's really she, cool. she's done a great job. She's really quite talented. Um, so, yeah, so there's it's a collaboration with the people inside the company. And, of course, you know, the director, the actor, the team, um, the marketing people at Warner Brothers or whoever the company is. Uh, you know, it is a big – it's it's a big – it's like moving a army. <laughs> And, you know, and, and making a film like American Hustle, which is, I would call it a, you know, medium budget, uh, independent type film, um, as opposed to like. That was medium budget? Yeah, that was. Wow. A, when you say that was medium budget. Yeah, it was probably because, you know, I had some pretty big cast in that yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to a movie like The Bank Job. I don't know if you ever saw a movie called The Bank Job that I uh-uh. did. With uh, Jason Statham and Roger Donaldson directing, which is also one of my favorite pictures, um, that cost about twenty. Okay. Um, American Hustle cost uh, thirty-eight. Wow. So, what would be a high movie then? If American Hustle is a medium movie. Oh, you know, Batman versus Superman, okay. Man of Steel, this next Wonder Woman. Those are those are multiple. Those are nine-digit movies. Wow. Well into nine digits. Wow. You know. That's crazy. So um, Wonder Woman, you know, cost about 150 uh, and um, in that range and uh, was obviously extremely profitable because it did $870 million in worldwide box office. So what do you feel um, when you've got all these successful, amazing, phenomenal pictures that you do? And I just, I mean, that... 
I'm just amazed with how you've contributed to the world as far as entertainment and um, bringing that out. Is that something that you are present to? Like how you've impacted the entertainment world is huge. It's enormous. You're like well, <laughs> one of the most influential uh, movie producers. Um, every once in a while, you know, I was, I got this great honor uh, in January by the Producers Guild. You know, they gave me uh, what they called the David O. Selznick Award. Mm -hmm. I saw that. So that was pretty great to be, you know, honored by your peers. It's nothing better than other producers telling you you're a really good producer and you've had a really great body of work. So, and I do, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, I'm not going to be falsely modest and say I don't think that I've made some pretty great movies because I do. Mm -hmm. I also know that I made some pretty big stinkers. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that my batting average is is a lot better than it's, you know, I think I have a pretty good batting average. And yeah, I mean, you know, I do try to, to the best of my ability, you know, try to have each movie, at least whether it's, um, whether it's acknowledged by the viewing public or not, I'm at least trying to imbue it with a certain commentary about the human condition, even if it's a superhero movie, you know, um, about, uh, you know, just things like, you know, doing things for the right reason. You know, each one of us has inside of us the ability to be a hero, you know, trying to make sure that even though you're not perfect, you do everything that you can to be ethical and, um, you know, truthful, those kinds of things. They, I think that, that, um, you know, those are important things to try to impart on people and that it's never too late to change. And, um, you know, and, you know, you have to be, um, honest with yourself about your calling. I remember, um, <laughs> oh, I love when I was, uh, when I was first starting out, I, I made a, um, a I, I put on a play uh, here in Los Angeles. It was a it was a musical comedy uh, called Big Mac, Lord of the Fries. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how old are you? I was in my twenties. Okay, and I think I was like twenty five or twenty six. And I, I, you know, it was like my second big deal and I was my, and I was really excited and I said, well, like, you know, so I made a writing deal with my co-writing partner and I was producing the show and, um, I had also, by you know, at that time, because I've always been an entrepreneur, I had a small little management company that uh, represented some actors and some songs, some some other uh, musicians and artists and stuff like that. And I really thought I was hot shit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Creating your Big Mac show. Your play. <laughs> Even though I hadn't produced anything yet. <laughs> this was in the 70s. And so um, I... The, the the show was bought by uh, the guy who was running Universal at the time. and uh, Oh, that's a big deal. Yeah, no, right? it was a really big deal. I was yeah, like, someone I was, from Universal's buying I was like dining out on that stuff, you know? And so, oh. and so, uh, but then I put it on. He wanted to, to do work before we tried to take it to Broadway or whatever. And uh, he, uh, I put it on again, and the show really had not advanced very much. And it was rather disappointing. 
And so, <laughs> so I had to go to a meeting to this with this guy. His name was Ned Tannen, um, who uh, he knew music because he started out at uh, at uh, MCA Records, and he actually was the guy who did the the MCA, you know, the the venue out there. Um, and then he started to run the motion picture division of, of Universal. Anyway, I, I go to him after the show the next day. I'm kind of hang dog and everything. And I go, <laughs> I go, he goes, what are you going to do, Rover? What are you going to do about the show? It stinks. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, well, listen, I, 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 you know, I've got my big boy pants on. And as the producer of the show, I think I got to fire the writers, including me. Wow. <laughs> And, uh, just being honest with yourself, right? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. And he says, fire the writers. He says, 12 monkeys in a basement could write better than you. I go, thanks for the vote of confidence. Anyway, let's find another set of writers. But that was the last time that I actually, uh, considered myself a writer. And since then I've always been a producer and I found that my ability to sell material and criticize material, um, market material, was really uh, significantly enhanced by not my by my not being so involved in the actual writing of the words. Mm. I could be a better editor and uh, a better creative partner by being more objective. So that was something I needed to learn about myself. And quite frankly, right after that, you know, my producing career took off. And so you had to learn what you weren't good at, give that to somebody else. And exactly. And take on what you were good at. Exactly. That's a big, big, mm-hmm. important thing to know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I do, because not all the people who work on my desk are right for my desk. Mm-hmm. That doesn't right. mean they're not right for something else. And, you know, if I realize that somebody's not right for my desk, um, then I say to them, look, I think you're in the wrong job, you know, so let's talk about that. Okay. Because for me to let you go doesn't mean that you're necessarily a failure. It means that you need to be looking for what is the right job. Wow. Oh my God. I love that. <laughs> And And by the way, and guys that I have let go, guys and gals that I have let go and had that conversation with have gone on to do some pretty amazing things and be quite successful in other areas of the entertainment business, but not producing and not being a producer's assistant. You know, whether they're a manager or a screenwriter or working as an editor or doing any other of the wonderful things that you can do, you know, working on a, you know, on a film set or a series set or whatever. Oh my gosh. I love that. And what if you, and just same with your writing, like what if you would have stuck to like, I'm going to be a writer and then you would have failed at (laughs) writing because you're not meant, that's not your strong suit. So you have to find what you're. It clearly wasn't for Ned. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's really, really cool. Cause it's so true. It's just a matter of putting yourself and people in the right place. And that's why you have an amazing team because you clearly found people that can compliment you where you fall short, but then you obviously compliment them where they fall short. And it's a great, a great, obviously your results are proving that. So I love that. Uh, what is it like when the Academy Awards come around and your movies are up for nominations? What's that like? That's thrilling. 
you know, um, that's still something that I, you know, aspire to. It's always great to have things that you aspire to, you know. Um, I, I, of course, would love a picture that I produced to, to win that best picture. Um, I hope it happens. It's not the be, a, be all, end all, but it's still a goal that I haven't achieved yet. And I would love to, uh, to have that. Uh, also, I'd like to tech, tech, uh, check that box. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I feel like every every year, though, your movies are up for 10, 11, 12 nominations, which is like huge. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had some films that that have had some major nominations. And, you know, um, I've also had some films that should have been nominated. I thought that that didn't. But that's fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's um, it's an interesting uh evolution about what the academy thinks and doesn't think and now we've got this whole debate about whether or not um a company that netflix movie should be nominated for academy awards or just or just um you know emmys uh because they don't really have theatrical releases and um and i'm hopeful that there's room in the uh entertainment's you know uh dimension for you know, all kinds of ways to get the content out there uh, that doesn't cannibalize the other. I would hate it if I couldn't make a movie like Wonder Woman or The Dark Knight and have it, you know, be in, you know, IMAX. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet, you know, I recognize that there are some other films that, uh, you know, the venue might be right for, you know, over the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. The politics too behind everything, stuff that we don't see as a street person. Like we don't think about um, just do this, just do that. And there's so much more to it as far as how what happens behind the scenes. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the other thing about technology. You know, it's great on the one hand, and then it's you know it also uh, can be challenging on the other. I remember. Because I know that you know that I had a long career in the music business. As I told you, I was managing and and actually, um, you know, making, I'd call executive producing uh, records. Remember when we mm-hmm. had those? Atlanta, yep. <laughs> I remember the CDs for Atlantis, Morissette, and Green Day. Yeah. I remember going to their concerts when you'd have those. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and Seal. And, but I'm talking Google about going back into the, back in the 70s, I used to make, I used to find artists and um, p- put them together with a with a producer, and you know, pay for the record and sell the domestic rights to a record company, whether it was United Artists back then or a uh, uh, ABC Records, or and they're both out of business now, <laughs> or 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 fly to Europe to uh, to can for what was called the the uh, Medem Festival. Um, and and sell the international rights to those, uh, and then that evolved. Uh, I got into the music business um, uh, with one of the great music managers of all time, a guy by the name of Bob Cavallo. Mm, yep, and I, I think that Bob. my relationship with Bob had just ended when you came to yeah, work for me, right? It did, and I but I do remember his name being thrown out around a yeah, lot. So he I'm went off to run a worldwide music for Disney for many many years. Um, and really the, the greatest success of the music division that we had was really under his, under his watch when he was my partner. Um, so, uh, 
I've watched a lot of technology. Uh, that was my point. I've watched a lot of technology come and go, right? Mm-hmm. I've watched, I've seen records turn into CDs. I saw CDs, uh, be, um, you know, be taken over by the internet and Spotify, actually, yeah. and, and actually almost drive, uh, the music business. It has driven the music business into being another business, right? Uh, iTunes, uh, is, you know, a big example of that. And of course, yeah, licensing the music, uh, on a subscription basis is also like Spotify. Um, that's another, uh, another one. But, um, in fact, in the, in the late nineties, and I'm just wondering, did you come work for me in 88 or uh, 98 or 99? 98. 98. Yep. So uh, I think that it was in 98 where uh, we were doing Alanis's album after Jagged Little Pill, and we gave to a company called mp3.com. I remember <laughs> you guys going to San Diego for the, I remember all that. Right? Yep. So mp3.com. Yes. Was, oh my gosh, that's was, so crazy. Was, was, was the death of the CD. <laughs> because that's that started right. music on the internet. We did the whole IPO with them. Yes, oh, we did. That yeah, exactly. Nuts. I totally forgot about that. Right? So, um, and then of course, you know, uh, the whole music business changed and, uh, and even now the whole, uh, you know, content business is changing because, you know, you still have DVDs, but they're not necessarily as robust in their sales as now downloads are. And, you know, um, so technology is really good, but it's also, you know, there's a lot of piracy as a result mm-hmm. of that. And so that's not so good. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and I guess even things like Facebook, right? There's a lot of really great things about Facebook, but of course, having somebody have all the information about you may not be so good, yeah. and then how they use it may not be so good. Exactly. So there's always a yin and a yang to everything, which we're seeing all that right now in the world, especially. Uh, so I, I'm wondering too, is this what you're doing now? Is this what you've always wanted to do when you were little, or what was when you're? When you were six, because when I was six, I wanted to be you right now, which... I, I did not know what I wanted to do when I was six. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was 16. Yes, I did. When I was 16, I wanted to surf and ride horses. And that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't... I, I, spent, I spent very little time in school, found every excuse to not go to class, and uh, definitely... Um, is that how you were in Hawaii, where you started with the, the Hawaii Five O? Yeah. yeah. So what happened with that? You were well. So so I I graduated from high school and um, my grades weren't that good, but I scored really good on my SATs and I got into UCLA. And my dad really wanted me to go to school and go to UCLA. And I said, I'm taking a year off. I'm going to Hawaii. I'm going to go surf. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I had at at that point really was I'd been spending a lot of time surfing and riding horses, and the guys that I used to ride with, they were stunt guys on the TV shows back then, the westerns back then, and they told me, you know, it's fun, you know, if you ever have an opportunity to ride horses as a stunt guy or surf as a stunt guy, you should really do that. So um, I went to Hawaii and um, I got a job. Uh, working um, 
for a roof contractor. And one of my buddies who I would surf with at the end of the day said, you know, they got this show. It's called Hawaii Five O. And they're gonna they're looking for guys to surf in the background. And you'll make as much money as you are probably more as working for that roofing contractor and you'll be in the water surfing all day. I went I want that job. So yeah, that was my first foray into the entertainment business. I was a stunt surf extra on Hawaii Five O. I love it. I watched, watched that show today. The current, the current one. The current one. Yeah, I this was it. back in the day of Jack Lord yeah. when when that show first came on the air. And do you do you think that you would be in the entertainment industry if it weren't for that exposure at that age? Since you weren't sure what you wanted to do, anyways. You know. I'm not sure. I did go back. I had to back then that we had a draft and I had to go back to school. I had to go back to college to avoid the draft because I had a low draft number. And as I said, I wasn't, I wasn't really a great student. Uh, and, uh, I was surprised though. I was actually very fortunate because even though I wasn't a great student, I actually had a lot of retention, um, in terms of whatever did find its way into my head. But ultimately, uh, I wasn't doing very well at UCLA and I was in danger of not getting through the courses. And, uh, another buddy of mine said to me, you know, there's this, you should think about joining the film school there because you get to watch movies. <laughs> <laughs> they know you, they all know you. <laughs> you get to watch movies and you can do some creative writing. And if you're any good, maybe you can actually have a shot at making a movie there. So, um, <laughs> I, uh, I tried to do that, uh, and I did, and I, I did some creative writing and I did get the opportunity. Uh, and back then at UCLA, what they said to you was here's back then it was, here's 16 millimeter camera. Here's, we used to cut on a movieola back then. Here's a movieola. Here's 10,000 feet of 16 millimeter film. And we'll see you in 10 weeks. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know anything about this. You know, I was in front of the camera. I don't know anything about being behind the camera. I don't know how to shoot a camera. I don't know how to work a movieola. And, you know, my writing is okay. And he said, that's the way it is. After 10 weeks, we look at your first movie and we tell you whether or not you can continue on in film school or you have to be a film historian or a film critic. <laughs> that's why I always laugh at film critics because basically they're guys who can't be in film school and make movies. <laughs> you know that. Huh? You <laughs> so, know the secret. <laughs> so, so I, uh, I was fortunate that my um, cousin was an associate pro- professor at SC. He, he was a director um, and he uh, taught a class at SC called a director acts. And he, that class was to teach directors how to work with actors Mm -hmm. by having them actually do scene work. And I audited that class and that taught me how to work with actors. And uh, one of the guys in their math in the master's class, there was a day when they didn't have the right number of people. And I was sitting up in the stands auditing the class and said, come down and work with us. And one of the guys came up to me after the class and he said, you know, I'm doing my master's. Would you, would you be interested in starring in it? So I did that work and I got into SC uh, as a result of that, where they gave me multiple 
opportunities to work in film. And that's really, so the answer is probably I would have, mm, you know, other things were coming your way as well. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. I like that. Uh, so I'm wondering when I was like, even last night, I actually woke up at like three 30 this morning. Cause I was so nervous and I wanted to make sure I got on the road on time. So I wouldn't hit traffic and um, just anxious, nervous, but really excited at the same time to get to one to um, reconnect with you after 18 years. And then two is I just wanted to look you in the eye and tell you thank you. And I'm wondering if you have someone like that in your life that you um, have felt how I felt coming to get to, to meet with you. And who's that person and why? Well, you know, I've never worked with anybody as a producer that I wanted to be like as a producer um, because I sort of made myself a producer. When I, when I left film school, I worked with a producer director um, who was a really great producer at one time. His name was James B. Harris, but he was a director by the time that I worked mm -hmm. with him. Um, and, uh, the guy who taught me how to physically produce was a guy by the name of Ramsey Thomas, but I only worked with him on one movie. I liked him very much. And I would say that he helped me a great deal, but I, he was a physical producer. He wasn't a creative producer. And I always, I'm a guy who likes to do it all, Yeah, you know? Um, so those are the guys that I admire. Mm -hmm. You know, and those are guys that I haven't worked with. But, you know, there was a producer by the name of Dan Melnick. I, I admired him a lot. He was a friend. He was a very close friend of my first wife. He uh, he produced some of the greatest movies of all time. Um, and uh, and uh, I, I definitely admired admired him. Um, and. Uh, you know, obviously, I admired David Oselznick, but I never met him. So one of, one of the other guys that that whose career path I really admired was was uh, Jerry Weintraub, who started out as a manager and then also produced some really great movies, including uh, the Ocean's movies. And uh, you know, I mean, he managed Elvis and Frank Sinatra and, and uh, uh, just you know. He was a legendary guy. So I would say those are the big producers uh, that I really, you know, admired from afar or became friendly with along the way. Um, and there are some guys right now that I think are just really, you know, David Heyman, I think, is a really great producer. He's made the Harry Potter movies. And um, I think that he's a really great producer. I think that... Um, uh, Brian Grazer uh, has done a great mm -hmm. job being a producer. Like the guys that I think just do uh, the working title guys. I mm -hmm. uh, just love their movies, you know. So, and I'm sure there's others out there. Uh, Larry Gordon was a great producer. I thought that he, uh, I admired him for a long time. Uh, I met him when he was still working as a production guy for a uh, for a small, uh, what was it called? The Samuel Arkoff Company. Anyway, uh there's a lot of guys out there that are worth admiring because yeah. they do a great yeah. job, but there's, it wasn't one. Is it, uh, so then you're, you're working with, you know, phenomenal creative people like that. You're also doing movies with Jennifer Lawrence, with Viola Davis, who I expressed my love of her earlier that I, I think she's fantastic. Uh, Christian Bale, Bradley Cooper. Is that normal for you? Do you get starstruck? Is it like, what's that? Cause 
this is like the world you've known for so long. Does it, is it just like you're, it's just, I, it is. I, I, I definitely admire great work and I wouldn't say that I get starstruck, but I still get wowed, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and it's, it's a great feeling. You know, um, I knew that Jennifer Lawrence, when I saw, um, her do that film, I think when she was 17 years old, she was nominated for an Oscar. She just, just blew me away. And of course, the movies that she did with David Russell were amazing. And, uh, you know, Silver Linings Playbook was a fantastic, fantastic love that one. That's so, where I was like, I love know, her. <laughs> and as soon as I saw Margot um, in the great Scorsese movie, The Wolf of Wall Street, uh-huh. I knew that she was going to be amazing. And when we tested um, Gal for Wonder Woman on, a, on Batman versus Superman, mm-hmm. yeah. I knew that she was going to be special. Um, and of course, Christian, I mean, I've made, I've produced four movies with Christian and he's as great as anybody. I think he's amazing. He's amazing. Yeah. He's fantastic. All right. So it's very, it's very easy to look at someone like you and think that, uh, everything just works out for you. And one, it actually does work out for you, but, uh, are (laughs) are you aware that people see you that way? And, and, and what, and I guess what I'm looking for is, I'm looking for, cause I have such an admiration for all the work that you've done and what you created that I, I'm looking for that human side to you. Like, are you still like, or do you know that that's happening around you or are you just going through life? Just how I'm going through my life and you're, you've got your same stresses, you've got your same worries. Um, yeah, I, you know, I'm old enough now <laughs> and I've had enough ups and downs to realize that, you know, that's just part of life, you know, and, you know, I'm not going to say that I don't get stressed out. I do. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that I don't get depressed. I do. I'm not saying I don't get insecure. I do. But, you know, I try to do the best with the the uh, experience tools, you know, to get out of them sooner or quicker or adjust faster. I believe that over the course of my career, notwithstanding the fact that it might look from afar like things have just been this way, they've been this way. Right. Right. Or if that was an overnight success, you're like, "Uh -uh." I'm lucky they've been still Mm -hmm. on a good trajectory, Mm -hmm. but I've certainly had, you know, really serious disappointments serious insecure moments and always after a certain number of years um looked at what part of me i needed to reinvent oh i love that can i have an example just how to function with people how to deal with people you know the world and some can say it's better or some can say it's worse but actually the world moves on right and you have the yin and the yang of the inventions we talk about. So you've got the yin and the yang of just, you know, what's happening in the world. Um, you know, just take, you know, the Me Too movement that happened exactly. last year, okay? Yeah. So if you would have said to me five years ago that there would be that, I'd go, really? Right? Now, you know, I've always made films about strong women, had strong female characters in my movies, was married to one of the women who broke the glass ceiling. For in sure. The, she in, ran entertainment. She ran Paramount Pictures as head of production and was the first woman president of a major studio. So and you know, I managed the first woman who um won a world championship 
in head-to-head competition with a guy in car racing. I made a movie about her, my first movie called Heart Like a Wheel, Shirley Muldowney. So, and obviously, you know, Alanis Morissette was a client of mine. So, um, so I've dealt with strong women uh, and tried to do my best to, if somebody was talented, try to help them enhance that talent, you know. Um, so it wasn't, I, I'm not saying I didn't know that um, sex, sexism or sexual harassment didn't exist. I did. But to think that there would be this big wave about it, that's just one example of how you have to look at yourself and go, gee, am I helping that? Am I not helping that? Is that something I should focus on? Should I learn from that? Um, should I partially reinvent myself for that? Is there something I can do better in that area? Those kinds of things. That's just one example. But I do that. I try to do that because I'm like, you know, maybe one of those times I should really reevaluate how I'm doing things. I love that you're willing to look at yourself and see like, where, where did I, where, where do I play the role in this? Exactly. That's a And very, I do think that you know, failure is thing. not, failure is not a, it's, it, it's not a single thing. You pay, you play a part in any failure that you involve. It goes back to decisions that you made, right? And actually, some of those decisions could have been made way back at the starting gate. What is something that you failed at or didn't get that you look back on and you're so grateful because it led you um, on a bigger path? Um, you know, sometimes in the past, uh, to me, I would get the movie made at all costs. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a situation where I um, knew that it was the wrong thing to do with the individuals I was doing it with, but I was so goal oriented. Uh, I didn't listen to that part of me that was going, yeah. The feels you talked about earlier. You weren't listening listening to yourself. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, you know, I also had partners who were saying, we need this economics of this. It makes sense. You know, there's so many other good things that are going to happen if you do it. I did do it. It was a mistake, you know, um, and it caused uh, a number of very negative things. It was one of those times when I would say I had to recover from it. Oh, wow. And, you know, and I had been ancillary things that followed me Mm -hmm. for a number of years uh, that surprised the shit out of me. Um, So... I don't think I would do that again. Before we go, um, I wanted to say two more things to you. So first of all, um, it's just really important for me that I communicate how um, you've impacted the trajectory of my life. One is, I don't know if you know this, but you, no matter what, you would always say thank you to me. Always. I remember being stressed out like crazy. I remember being, um, I mean, it's really hard to work on movies. It's one of the most hardest things I've ever done in my entire life. But that experience, I just remember inside of every single thing you did, you would always say thank you. And so, and so from that experience, I have become the biggest advocate for saying thank you to people. And I just want to thank you for that. You've always said thank you no matter what. And I just really appreciated that. Um, And then lastly, I want you to know that uh, working for you was uh, such a landmark experience for me because 
Um, I, like I said earlier, I learned my diligence from you. I learned my work ethic. I learned my ability to hustle, my ability to not give up and to make things happen. And the biggest thing that I learned is that I figured out that I no longer wanted my childhood dream, which you actually gave to me, which was the opportunity to get to work with you on movies. And I realized, oh my God, I wanted to do this since I was really little and now I don't want it anymore. And I was devastated. That was part of the horror of me quitting as I, I was devastated because I didn't know what I was passionate about or what to do. Right. And so for nine years, I literally bumbled through life without meaning, without passion, without any direction on what to do. And it stemmed from, um, you know, achieving what I thought I wanted with you and then um, today it brought me to like living my dream life. I, I've had the most amazing um, adventure in life. I've had such beautiful fortune. And I'm so grateful that I got that experience to do movies like I always thought I wanted to do because I would have never discovered my true passion and my true calling now. And um, so I just, I wanted to make sure and look you in the eye and say thank you. And I'm just, I'm really, really grateful well, because my I, pleasure. I don't think you had an idea. You probably well, had no idea, right? I didn't, but thank you for <laughs> tracking me down, Kim. It was really nice to spend time with you. You're welcome, Chuck. All right. All right.